Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's the IGN UK podcast. I'm here. He's here. And the other fellow's here. Very exciting. Bonjour. Yeah. That's the weirdest opening we've ever done. It's a know. bit of a difficult one. I don't know. There was that one when we were recording it in audio only, and I went around kind of anointing everybody by uh, just resting my testicles on their forehead just for a second. Oh, I see. I yeah. could repeat that now that we've got vision as well. You could do. YouTube might have an issue with it. Screw YouTube. You should put your balls away, though. People can't see under the table, but they are out. They are, and they're massive. Swollen. He's got yeah. mumps. Yeah. Saggy. <laughs> they are saggy. That's why I've, I've commented on this before, because I'm getting old. My balls are getting saggier. My eyes are getting squintier. And I think there's a direct connection. I have actually I think, heard that before. Yeah, that the, your balls kind of... Pull your eyes pull together. Your eyes, yeah. Look at Chris Christopherson. <laughs> Chris is ball dropping. Is that why he's getting quite squinty exactly. now? Exactly. There yeah. you go. Good. <laughs> Good. Luke Amali, Chris Tilly, Stuart Reed. Hi, everybody. Uh, this week, uh, we've got a bit of a special thing, what we call a technical term. We have a drop-in, a drop-in, which is actually a bit of the podcast that we recorded earlier in the week, and it's, uh, it's about people from Lionhead. Yeah. Ted and Craig. Ted and Craig. Talking about Fatal Anniversary and stuff like that. All that to come. Uh, we've also got loads of news, <clears throat> loads of things happening in the worlds of the movies and the games this week as well. Indeedy. Your reader, F.U., of course. And we'll take a quick look at movies and games that are out this week as well. Anybody been up to anything interesting this week? Um, no. Oh. We'll move on. Well, um, I, well, the only thing I have to say is that I met a couple, couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I couldn't talk about a game, which is The Order 1886. Our preview went up this week, Colin Moriarty, a bit, bit unsure about it because of technical issues. What are the technical issues? Um, well, we saw quite an early build of it. Um, so we weren't at the same event, but we saw quite an early build. And there were just, a, it was just very jittery and buggy and quite, quite glitchy, which is a shame. Because the stuff they're doing looks great. It looks, you know, like a really interesting setting. It's set in London in 1886 in this yeah. neo-Victorian. Um, it looks great, but as... Neo-Victorian? What's neo-Victorian? So it's like, it's basically a reimagining of the past. So in the sense that they um, have supercharged weapons and things like that. You've seen the trailer. It looks quite interesting. Um, That's right. I've watched the trailer. Yes, I'm sure yeah. you have. So anyway, it, it looks very interesting. And um, But he, he was quite, Colin was quite um, reserved on it. I'm more optimistic, but uh, it's true. There were it was quite juddery the demo we saw. Okay, but I kind of think that they're, they're hoping to get it out this year. I think they've got time to polish it. Yeah. He's skeptical. Yeah, but yeah, they sort that out quite late in the day. Isn't that judderiness? Yeah, but the problem, the worry is, do they maybe not sort it out? But you know, there's that. So I can talk about that now. That's good. And where were you this week? I was I was in Aberystwyth. Lovely. Well, no, it's not though, is it? Well, I haven't asked you. How was your holiday? Well, it was. It, it was fine. It was fine. It was. We we decided to take the train. We normally drive to Aberystwyth, which is like a six-hour car journey. And we thought we'd take the train, which is like a four-hour car uh, train journey. Mm. Apart from when the signals fail, when it's a six-hour train journey. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And poor Aberystwyth has taken a battering. If you're from Aberystwyth or you've been there, hello. Hope you're enjoying your university stay. But yeah, it's been absolutely battered by yeah, the storms. Yeah, can imagine. Um, uh, all, all this lovely kind of Victorian promenade has just been really, really destroyed. It was quite sad to see that. A lot of this, a lot of the beach is now up on the road, oh. where it's not meant to be. Oh. It's meant to be back on the beach. Controversial. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're trying this out. You know, maybe doing something a bit different for summer. Maybe. Maybe. Could be. I don't know. But uh, I did. I did see two new films. Did you? Yeah. What did you see? I saw the Grand Budapest Hotel. Wes Anderson. The new Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I've heard it's, it's even if you don't like Wes Anderson, you'll probably quite like this film. It, it's quite lovely. I don't know if you don't like Wes Anderson if you'll like it. Right. It's a very Wes Anderson movie. But it all works. It all works. The visuals and the, his style really works for the story. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was great. And I also saw Under the Skin. Oh, which okay. Which I thought you might be interested yes, in. Yes, starring Scarlett Johansson and directed by the guy that directed Born. Was it Born? Birth. 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 And uh, Sexy Beast, Jonathan yeah, Glazer. Jonathan Glazer, who oh. did a lot of those, a uh, lot of really cool uh, music videos as well in the late yeah. 90s. He hasn't done anything for years. No, I think he struggles to get films made, actually. Mm. Um, it's very good. Is it? Oh, my God, it's so weird. 
Scarlett Johansson's naked for quite a lot of it. I think it's going to get people in cinemas. Well, you can imagine. Well, yeah. uh, but then it's a trip. It's it's very strange, very I, uncomfortable viewing. I read the book years oh, ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, years and years ago. Uh, yeah. And I thought it was a very strange book at the time as well. Yeah. Um, very um, uncomfortable viewing. But I tell you what, I can't stop thinking about it. That's a good and sign. Every, and everyone I know that's seen it's thought the same thing. When's that due out? Cup, uh, three weeks, I think. I'll be, I'll be reviewing both of them next week. Excellent. Both getting super positive reviews. Cool. Mm. Anything else interesting coming out? Oh, I'll talk about that later. Yeah, later. We'll talk about that later. later. Uh, let's crack on with a bit of news. Yes. Uh, first up, Luke. Titanfall. Titanfall. Tit and fall. Tit and fall. So, we got courtesy of Titan Books, our chums. Um, we got sent the Art of Titanfall book. And so we cracked it open. We had a look through it. Yeah. Um, transpires there was a lot of information in there that is not yet in the public domain. What the what? Yeah, so we read it and um, Alex and Cooper did a conversation about it. I wrote it up. And yeah, loads of crazy stuff that we didn't know. So loads of maps that were leaked. They were confirmed and we got some images of them. Um, there was the most exciting part for me is the fact that there'll be native wildlife on some of the maps. And some of them will just fly around doing nothing until they're attacked. Some of them will attack you on sight. And they're these massive leviathan monsters as well that look like... Have you seen... You've seen The Mist by Frank Darabont? Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the very, very end of that film... Spoiler alert. You see that massive foot come down. The impossible creature. Yeah. 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 So there's some that, like, could look like that, basically, as well. Um, So really exciting... Changes it a lot. There's some story details as well, which I won't go into. You can read it on the site if you if you do want to find them, but they are spoilerish. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, really, really kind of exciting because we we haven't heard a lot about the story of Titanfall before, and to this magical, magical book coming into our laps. The book is available on February 25th, by the way, and it's like got great art in. Um, yeah, we now know a lot, lot more. Wow. So yeah, that was quite exciting. So that happened on so looks, Monday or Tuesday. It looks as if Titanfall is actually going to be a lot, lot richer it's than int- we first thought. Yeah, everyone's been going on about the gameplay and stuff, which mm. is great. And just been like, oh, COD clone, COD clone, or what have you, which I disagree with. But it's actually, like, it looks like it's got really, really deep, rich lore, like strong sci-fi, really well put together. So no, that's that's really exciting. Like, I, it, like, I wasn't that excited for the story aspect of it, yeah. but now I am. Now I'm actually a bit more upset that there isn't a single player because this looks really interesting. Right. So yeah, no, really good. Excellent. Really good stuff. Chris? Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer dropped this week. Yes. And we all watched it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think, Stu? You just got back. You had I a look d- at it earlier. I just got back. I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm, <laughs> still, I'm still trying to, to digest it. I'm still trying to process it. It's, uh, it's all over the place, isn't it, really? See, I don't know the source material. So I was expecting it to be quite a serious, you know, another one of these action pack. But no, it's just tongue-in-cheek, fun, fun, fun. And I don't... Maybe it's just because I wasn't expecting it, but I'm not sure if I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's definitely a comedy. Yeah. Um, it's actually pretty much the trailer that they showed me about eight months ago on mm-hmm. set. Okay. Uh, that, hence, not, not much Rocket Raccoon because they hadn't even cast Bradley Cooper or Vin Diesel at that mm. point. Um, but yeah, the sense you got on set that this is definitely a comedy. James Gunn, all his films have been genre films, but they've all been comedies. Mm. I uh, did the superhero one, didn't he? Uh, super. Super. Yes. With Rain Wilson. Which right? I really liked. Alan I Page. mean, that's a strange film. Yeah. So yeah. I, really, I really thought it was And he did that great special. horror film. That I, a name I can't remember. Oh. One word. An S. Slither. Slither? Slither? Slither. Is that the one where, like, there's the thing in the town that keeps kind of like that massive... Mon- yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well Slither. Yeah. Really okay. good. Um, yeah, so the, the tone is going to be very humorous. That's why they've got him on board, I think. Mm. And Chris Pratt's going to be very funny. I think it's going to make a star of Chris Pratt. It's going to be what quite... do I know him from? Parks and Rec. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's chubby in Parks and Rec and he's buff for this. I was going to say, because I recognised him and I was like, don't know where from. But yeah, yeah, he looks quite different. Mm. They seem to be going for quite a dark vein of humour, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah. If and it's going to work, I think it's going to work as a, as a kind of very dark movie. The thing I'm most excited about is the soundtrack and you got you got you heard a bit of it in the trailer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's going to, music, 80s uh, rock and power ballads are going to play a massive role in the film because... Yeah, he's kidnapped as a child and, and goes into space from Earth and he has his Sony Walkman with him mm. and so it's his one connection to the Earth is these, this mixtape he's made in about 1986 oh, I see. and so all, this, all the films are going to be filled with these songs and I think even like action sequences are going to be scored to like 80s rock music see that genuinely excites me yeah. that really does <laughs> it's going to be sufficiently different I think to the other Marvel movies it's what, it's what the Marvel movies need I think yeah, yeah. You know? it's a brave move to, to screw with the formula 
Because most people think Marvel movie, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get some serious kind of vibes going on. I'm going to get some big action. Yeah. But this, you know, the tone of this seems to be completely different. Yeah, and I think from the trailer now, everyone can see that it, it's what I've been saying from what I saw on set. It's much more Star Wars than Avengers. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, weird planets, weird aliens. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it just I, because it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be a change. To me, it kind of looked a bit like, you know, the Mass Effect film that I always wanted but never going to get. And it's just <laughs> like, I don't know, so I, I quite like it. It looks like it's going to have... It's, it's, as you say, it's different, right? And, and as James said to us on set, the director, it, it, it's, it's going to live or die on, on the raccoon. Yeah. He's yeah. the beating heart of the movie. If you believe him and you care about him, the movie's going to work. And if you don't, if you think it's a bit ridiculous, then it won't. So I saw today, like, wasn't there a clip that's just come out of his voice for the first time? Yeah, we put a little, a yeah. very short featurette of Bradley Cooper voicing the raccoon. So we've got a little glimpse at it now. I was going to say, because he doesn't speak in the trailer, does no, he? No, that? Yeah. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. I look forward to that. Oh, yeah. similar, not really a similar note, but I, I got around to seeing a Lego movie this week. Ah. That's crazy. Seen crazy good? Seen it. It's crazy good. I really? I mean, it's I really genuinely yeah. a very, very good movie. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. I started on House of Cards season two. Same here. How many episodes in? Two, but I don't think Tilly's any in. I'm not any in. No, any so we can't moment, talk about. Can't. But holy shit, episode one. No, shut up. No, I'm not going to say anything. But holy shit, episode. <laughs> one. If you've seen it, like, oh. yeah, that that stopped me in my he tracks. Just, he just swore twice. I did. Yeah, it's fine. Sorry. No, didn't didn't we say that we're only bleeping the f word? Yeah. Don't so, we? Can we say the s word? On we can say the s word as much as we want. Which one? There's more than one s word. Yeah, isn't there? Oh. Is there not? Well, let's let's try them. Let's try different ones throughout the course of the show and okay. see see if at any point I get up and stop filming. Okay, cool. You know, have we got any bio there. shit news? Hey, <laughs> see what you did there. See what I've done. Yeah, now Irrational Games, uh, the studio that's behind Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, which Bioshock Infinite, which we 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 loved, we loved, yeah, <laughs> we all loved. Uh, Laying off most of its staff, changing its internal focus. This is what we've been reporting. Colin Moriarty reported this in a letter penned by Ken uh, Ken Levine. Is it Levine or Levine? I can I've always decide. gone with I. I've always gone with Levine because of Adam Levine of Maroon Five. <laughs> wow! But um, I don't. I don't actually. All right. <laughs> well, I'm deeply proud. This is Adam Levine of Maroon Five saying this. Well, yeah. I'm deeply proud of what we've accomplished together. My passion has turned to making a different kind of game than we've done before. To meet the challenge ahead, I need to refocus my energy on a smaller team with a flatter structure and a more direct relationship with gamers. As such, he's winding down Irrational Games as we know it. I'm starting a smaller, more entrepreneurial endeavour at Take Two. This is going to mean parting ways with all but about 15 members of the Irrational team. Yeah. That's quite a surprise. It is. Um, so since then, what's kind of come out is yeah. there have been mutterings that, there's, that apparently people at the studio were kind of aware that this was a possibility about a year ago because the, you know... Levine wasn't particularly happy and he kind of the sales figures that he needed to hit for Infinite were supposedly um, so, infinitesimally huge literally so huge and so he it was never going to happen right. and so, they, so the writing was kind of on the wall but I, I don't know I mean the, the point like Lucy O'Brien uh, from IGN Australia wrote um, a very good piece about saying you know Ken Levine did not make Bioshock right there are about 200 people who yeah. made Bioshock mm. and so the, so te- the Bioshock um, IP is staying with uh, 2K, so there could be future Bioshock games. But um, it's just, you know, a bit, they've worked so hard, they've produced a critically acclaimed game. And the big question is now, what does this actually mean for the industry? Because Cliff Blazinski, who's the guy who made Gears of War, on the same day actually penned a letter saying he's done with physical discs, he's done with releasing games that way, he's only going to release games digitally, he wants to follow the Rust model of, you know, direct creators talking to the audience without publisher or media getting in between... And, you know, so he's saying that that is the future of the industry. And then, lo and behold, 12 hours later, one of the most, like, successful AAA games makers of recent years announces, yeah, no, not for me anymore. Going to go and pursue a similar thing. Mm. And so, it, you know, what does that mean? It's interesting. It's a bit scary. I guess the closest analogy we've got to that is Radiohead releasing in rainbows themselves a few years back in mm. the music industry. Why not? If you can cut out the middleman, it makes sense to surely because you you know you've got it's a it's a much faster turnaround, isn't yeah. it? You don't, you're not looking to 
to have your game pinned on a calendar and on a release schedule that suits the mm. huge organisation. Completely. But at the same time, does this mean that we're not going to see some of these big games anymore? Does this mean that a game with the scope of something like Bioshock Infinite are going to be farther and fewer between? Well, this is the thing, because what, what I find it most interesting about it is he hasn't split off, because he said all this stuff, but he hasn't split off to do it on his own, because he's still actually working with 2K. So... He's not gone on his own. He is still happy to work with a publisher, but he just wants the freedom to communicate directly with his audience. Mm. But, I, I, you know, you understand, he, when he started up about 20 years ago or something, he was in a team of about 15. And you can yeah, imagine it sure. slowly bloats, slowly bloats until you get to the stage where there's so many departments. Maybe, it, maybe the fact is it doesn't feel like his project anymore and okay. he does want it to be. Fair enough. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's a really sad story just because... Riding high on Bioshock, you know, the next piece of, the final piece of DLC coming out soon. Mm. Everyone's really excited for it, really excited for where the franchise is going next. And, you know, I'm sure we will have more Bioshock games, but it's just a bit like, I don't know, when so many game makers are struggling to see one who's really done well and yet walking away from it and leaving loads of people, you know, it's tricky. That's the thing, that's the thing I feel sorry for, is all the talented people that, made, that, that helped make Bioshock Infinite, suddenly, you know, they have the rug pulled from underneath them. Yeah, well, but Mitch Dyer um, from IGN America, he's doing really well. He's um, started a Google Doc and got all of these various game companies to file in all their kind of uh, jobs that they have going, and so they're circulating that. And, you know, all these people are talented. People who worked on such successful games as Bioshock Infinite, with any luck aren't going to be out of work for too long sure. um you know and but it's, it's just sad like it's just, and it came from nowhere like as far as we were concerned i mean as i say the writing was supposedly on the wall but scary i'm trying to think if there's uh, any kind of equivalent in the in the movie industry chris where somebody would you know in charge of a massive project like that would just suddenly say you know screw this i'm just going to go off and i'm going to make really small films with well, charlotte booth isn't famous anymore well um <laughs> idiot <laughs> guillermo del toro walks away from the hobbit yeah, yeah true um Oh, I'll tell you who's a good example, actually, I think, is, is uh, Robert Rodriguez. Because he's, yeah. he, he does virtually everything himself, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, he, he kind his of, own terms, his own studio. Yeah, he had a slight dalliance, probably, with a major studio for one movie, yeah. and said, you know what, I'm just going to do everything myself. The technology is now in place, and I can do any kind of movie he, I want. He writes the theme tune, he sings <laughs> the theme tune. <laughs> he's almost as good as Dennis Waterman. Yeah. <laughs> There's one for the kids. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, what other news we got? Well, while you've been away, uh, Stuart, they've cast the Fantastic Four. This is the reboot, yeah. The reboot. Now you don't actually by... know this, do you? So you're hearing this for the first time, right? Directed by Josh Trank uh, of Chronicle fame. Good film. And, yeah, yeah. So let me run some names by you. Okay. So playing Reed Richards, aka Mr. Fantastic, Miles Teller. Who? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he is stars in the comedy That Awkward Moment that came out recently. Okay. He was in a couple of teen comedies, uh, 21 and Over and Project X. Uh, and he got quite a lot of acclaim last year for a movie called The Spectacular Now, hmm. which is actually worth seeing, unlike okay. those other films. <laughs> uh, but very young, he's only 27. Okay. And he looks he looks about 19, plays, tends to play teenagers. So right. he's going to be the leader of Fantastic Four, and yet he's very young. Bold. Okay. So, uh, Johnny Storm, The Human Torch. Yep. Michael B. Jordan. Who? Exactly. Okay. Uh, he's in a comedy called That Awkward Moment. Oh, interesting. <laughs> with Miles Teller. Right. They play best buddies in it. Um, I reviewed it recently. It's not a great film, but he's um, he got a lot of acclaim last year for the movie Fruitvale Station, which mm. you might have heard of. Did you see Chronicle? Yes, yes. So he's in Chronicle. He's, he's the African American. He's the African American. Got you. Well, they're, made, they're making Johnny Storm an African American man. Okay. Which some people have been outraged about for well, some reason. It, that is what it is, but his sister is not African American, which is weird. So they're gonna, I, I don't know if that's going to. Well, his sister in the movie? Yes. Yeah. So okay. she's being played by Kate Mara. Oh, uh, do know. yes. Because we just talked about House of Cards. Yes. yes. Of House of Sister of Rooney Mara, Mara yeah. from uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes, so they're going to be brother and sister, but I don't know how they're going to explain that way but okay and finally Ben Grimm aka The Thing yeah Jamie Bell wow <laughs> yeah I didn't see that you one coming that. no yeah. one did wow okay there was a larger fella uh, Josh Gad who was rumoured to be playing Ben Grimm but no it's, they've gone with Jamie Bell who, and that wasn't rumoured anywhere that came really out of left field wow okay so I guess that's going to be like a, a CG performance yeah, yeah so well, the thing about Jane Bell, great actor. Brilliant actor. Really mm, good. If yeah. you watch some of his indie movies, 
Fantastic. Yeah. He's good in filth, actually. I've got that to watch. I'm going to watch that very soon. There was a film I saw him in, and I just... They came out around about the same time as, as another movie. There was one about a gun. Dear Wendy. Dear Wendy. And there was another one, which was set in, like, the American backwaters, where he goes on a, oh. on a pilgrimage with his younger brother, who's yeah. weird and eats everything, like soil and paint. I and haven't seen Undertow. Undertow, that's Undertow. right. Yeah. Not Jumping. Yeah. Really good not film. Not Jumper. He made a lot of good indie films at that time. Yes. Uh, he did. Hall and Foe was really good. That's right. Yes. Yeah, Edinburgh. Yeah. And Chum Scrubber was really good. American indie. Never saw that one. That one was good. Mm. But yeah, I mean, but the thing, we, we, we did a conversation video on this, and as, as Daniel pointed out, he's got experience in the film because he was Tintin. Yes. Mm. So he's done voice acting, performance capture. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, they're all very young. He's 26. The two guys, other two guys are 27. She's 31. It's a very young Fantastic Four. So who knows? Could work. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I was quite, kind of fond of the last two Fantastic Four movies. I thought they were, they, they were out of time, I think, because everything was going incredibly dark at that yeah. time with all the big superheroes. Yeah. Sure. And these, these were kind of... Kept the tail away. end of it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, these were kind of throwaway, daft little films. But they were still enjoyable. So I'll be interested to see what they do with, with well, the reboot. Well, based on the, ca- the comments underneath the couple of features we've done uh, on it... Uh, 3,000 comments on one feature, 3,000 comments on another feature. Um, our audience is not happy with the choices. Right, okay. Are they I mean, not happy with any of them? None of them. <laughs> 95% of the comments seem to be negative. That's so unusual. <laughs> Fox have a job to do. Yeah, good luck, Fox. <laughs> yeah, rather you than us. Uh, last bit of uh, news. Yeah, no, I didn't print anything out of this just because it's really simple. So, more resolutions. We love resolutions, don't we? No. All right, well, Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes. Is going to be 1080p on PS4, yep. 720p on Xbox One, right. and Thief is going to be 1080p on PS4, 900p on Xbox One. Doesn't look good, does it? Well, it's weird. So someone recently said, like a developer of a game called Sniper Elite 3, recently said that a patch is coming out to that's going to enable them to upscale a lot, e- lot more easily, and that's going to solve any everything right. on the Xbox One. Okay, but it makes you wonder why that. Patch wasn't there to begin with. I don't I'm, now see. I'm a bit confused here. If it's up right, if you've got a game running at 1080p on the PS4, yeah, are the graphics native 1080p? Yes. So if you've got a game running at 720p on the Xbox One, it's which up-scaled. they then upscale to 1080p, it's still inferior. Slightly, yeah. Hmm. So this this is the thing. Supposedly, um, it's to do with, and I don't know enough about technology, so. But it's to do with the fact that the PS4 has a, a unified memory. Yes. Whereas the Xbox One has it, bl- has it like split over two. Right. And um, so you can boost it from the other ones, the theory. But I think what a lot of developers are finding, if they can optimize for the PS4, is it really worth them doing, when they have such tight, you know, deadlines, you know, sure. game development is dead enough deadline. Is it really worth them spending that time optimizing you know, a more difficult bit of kit. It's what we saw with the with the PS3, right? When, like, Skyrim, we had issues with that. It's because there were, it was just... They didn't have the time to make the most of the technology. Got you. Um, and so, it's tricky. But by all accounts, supposedly, they're going to patch it in and suddenly all be hunky-dory. Hunky-dory? 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 Hunky-dory. I've always thought it was hunky-dory. <laughs> really? It's not hunky-dory, is it? No, it's hunky. Have I just like, been inadvertently a, racist a about, like by Luke. saying honky? Oh, oh God. Oh, dear. Well, either way, so that's another thing. Um, and I, not that anyone, I don't know why people care about resolutions, but everyone seems to have a lot to say about them. So there <coughs> well, we go. Because we, they care, Luke, because we were promised with this generation of consoles, we were promised full HD gaming. Yeah. Full HD gaming is 1080p. If you're only getting 720p on your Xbox One, True. is that any better than current gen? Well... Again, Kojima, who's the creator of Metal Gear, he came out and said about the PS4, it's the most powerful console in the domestic market. And um, he also said that it ha- it can hit 1080p, 60 frames per second, with room to spare. Apparently it's incredibly powerful and he's a very happy bunny. Well, let's open up the floodgates to some fanboy hate then, if you'd like to comment on this <laughs> or any of the other stories that we've been talking about on the podcast, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. We will have a reader FU a bit later on in the show, but now uh, we're going to have a brief break while Dan and Alex uh, speak to some guests that we had in earlier this week. Here's what they had to say. Hello, and this is a very special segment to the IGN UK podcast. Me and Alex are talking to Ted and Craig from Lionhead. Do you mind just introducing yourself so we know which voice is which for audio listeners? So I'm Craig, and I'm the producer at Lionhead. And uh, I'm Ted, and I'm the lead designer at Lionhead. 
Okay, cool. And recently you released um, Fable Anniversary, 10 years on from the original Fable. So it's a remake of that game. But So 10 years ago, where were you guys? What were you up to? And oh, I have to think. You go first. Cause you, you, we know where you were. Uh, I was at Lionhead <laughs> um, as an 18-year-old uh, work ex. Um, yeah, I did a, w- a week of testing on the original Fable game. Um, oh, they kindly decided to pay me after the week because WorkX obviously just get an experience for the week. Um, Exploited. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I got uh, a month-month contract as a tester and then, yeah, I guess fast forward 10 years later wow. and it was nice to go back to the thing that started my, my career and gave me my first chance uh, in, the, in the industry, which is cool. What about you, Craig? So, um, 10 years ago, I was still at university studying computer science, so... I was uh, I was taking the. Yeah, you were getting educated. Uh, it's kind of what's the uh, board game? The game of life. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I went down the education route, and Ted went down the uh, work yeah. experience route. So, but um, but ten years later, you converged on this project. Yeah. Um, what was the kind of what kickstarted going backwards rather than going forwards? To look back to the game that came out on the Xbox and think, you know what, we need to. Well, I mean, also, what's the term that you used? Is it remake, remaster? I personally prefer remaster because okay. I think that when I think of remake, I almost think of a reboot, like Tomb yep. Raider. You know, games that yep. have very recently taken the core elements of yep. a game and re-established it and given it a, a new lease of life. Whereas what we're doing with Fave Anniversary is we took the original that the fans absolutely love and wanted to be very careful about the way that we handled it. So it was very much more of fixing the things that were. Um, Terrible. <laughs> Ten years ago, uh, and, and and making them as good as we possibly can, while still retaining what uh, the original. Game so is. what we're talking about here is like a video game equivalent of when they go back to maybe an old movie and touch up the negative, or something like that. But have you taken more kind of been a bit more liberal with the kind of the. Source material. And I always think of George I, Lucas. Just <laughs> yeah, 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 this comparison. Yeah. We're on the spectrum here. I'm not sure we want to go down that route. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not, not get into the George Lucas. And solo shot Ewoks. first, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, t- you can you work with me on this one. I was the one trying to take yeah. lots of creative license. Well, I think um, we've got a good mix in the team. So Ted is very much kind of the uh, the fanboy in the in the team, and is very much about you no. Know, it has to be you know pretty much exactly like the original. And I'm quite new to the franchise um, and I actually hadn't played the original game until we started on the project. So it was great for me to come to really yeah. fresh eyes of just playing it as a gamer nowadays. Yeah. And I was able to go, you know, this is weird. I don't understand why this thing is like this or whatever. And um, so it was very, very, it was a good uh, working relationship between yeah. me and Ted that we could bounce stuff off each other of, you know, I want to change this, but no, you can't because it's really important to the fans or... Uh, vice versa. So. Yeah. so did you find like certain kind of gameplay elements or like kind of some things have become kind of archaic or the modern gamer just doesn't yeah, kind I of mean, respond in the I same way? I think one of the, the big things was the user interface. That's one we were all in agreement that it was pretty beyond its sell by date. Uh, and that's obviously no criticism to the original team. It was just how user interfaces were back yeah. then. But yeah. when you do a video game interface now, people don't just want something that is intuitive but they there's interfaces everywhere you know it's phones and tablets and everything it's all about being quick and easy to access things yeah. so we've tried to take experience that we all have with interfaces every day and make the Fable Anniversary one as accessible as possible because there's a lot of content when it comes to weapons and items and things like that yeah all the, sorry I was going to say all the books and such like as well they're just scarred throughout it's amazing you're constantly just finding yeah. content in the game that you didn't even know was there you know even you know months and months into development you just kept finding things like oh i don't know about this so. um it seems like we're getting like video games seem to be an industry that's always looking forward but we get to a point now where we start to look back yeah. and appreciate history and heritage and it's always been quite difficult to do with video games because when i was growing up there's loads of games i wanted to play but to play them i'd have to go out and convince my mum to buy a certain setup so were, these were games that were inaccessible Whereas today with that kind of online stores, e-shops, all that kind of stuff, maybe PlayStation Now, it's very easy to go back and revisit older games. Do you think that's something that's going to be, you know, much more of a case? Like, it's easier for film and books. Like, you yeah. can go into any shop and buy a book that was in print 300 years ago. Yeah. It's harder with games because you might need the equipment. Yeah. I think we also made it harder for ourselves. Like, there are some HD 
remasterings yeah, where they have around, yeah. just taken the original game yeah. up to the res and released it. But yeah. for us, we gave ourselves the much harder task of we don't just want to do a quick one. We want to actually spend the 14, 15 months, however long we've spent on it, um, actually you know, looking at every single part of it. Uh, the UI we've mentioned, save games, and we had a lot of fun doing things like achievements as well because right. nowadays of course. that expectation is yeah. there and, yeah. we, and we wanted to give it the sort of the lion head stamp that people expect, which is when it comes to achievements, they expect something really fun and different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did the process start? Does it start with a kind of an autopsy of the original? Yeah, well, I think, you know, going right back, it, uh, it starts with all the continuous tweets from all our fans. Um, so that's kind of the uh, origin point of the project. Um, but then, yeah, we, we sit down and um, you play the game through again. You just start doing, you know, a couple of playthroughs because you can't hit everything in one playthrough. Um, and then yeah, you start. I think you spent some time looking at reviews yeah. as well of like from ten years ago. Right, of, right. You know what were people complaining about back then? And yeah, you have to kind of pick your top five things, I guess, because when you read reviews, there will be a number of things that get mentioned a lot, and there'll be some things that are mentioned every now and again. So you've got to kind of pick that, combine it with your own personal feelings yeah. of the game, then the feelings of the team, then um, the feelings of Twitter, uh, <laughs> which is always an interesting one. <laughs> you could be there forever. Uh, I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, listen to committee. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You've so got to trust your. It's a community thing. project, and um, I hope that the fans have really resonated. That you know, this is definitely for them, uh, just as much as it is for us. And it was nice when I first replayed Fable Lost Chapters. Um, yeah, right at the beginning of the project. And immediately I was enjoying myself. So you know that, okay, well, at, at its core, it's still a really good game um, with some extra work in multiple areas. We should be able to bring this up to what the fans would expect of it today. Yeah. So I didn't actually play Fable uh, until Fable 2. So I missed out on this the first time around. What will this bring for someone like me who's new to the kind of, well, the, the start of the franchise? Well, I think first of all, you'll get um, a lot of the backstory that you're missing if you come in at Fable 2. You learn a lot more about Teresa, who she is, and kind of the things that uh, brought her to be where she is at the start of Fable 2. Um, and then I think you, you really get to see where a lot of the, the origin for the, the design as well comes from. You'll, you'll play this, um, they play Fable Anniversary, and you'll see elements in there that you immediately will then associate with Fable Two or Fable Three, but they'll be slightly different. It's the uh, you know the prequel yeah. uh, scenario. You're you're seeing the same sort of thing, but just in a slightly earlier format. I mean, you, you do hope, of course, that you'll bring in some new fans as yeah. well, some yeah. fans that haven't wanted to play Fable Two because they perhaps they're, maybe they're a bit like me. I like to play the first in a series before I jump in, yeah. um, but. It, for someone that would be new to Fable, it's hard because then you're competing with you know GTA Five and games right. that they're playing today. So yeah, there's always that hope at the back of your mind that oh, I really hope there's someone out there that picks yeah. it up and loves yeah. it. But and we did yeah. the we we made a, a trilogy bundle um, on the marketplace for for people that were coming into the franchise yeah. so that they could pick it up for, for a good price. It's a good plug. Together. It's a really it's brilliant good, yeah. good price. <laughs> it's a good Tip. price. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done here. <laughs> it's all about bringing new fans in. Is that one of the reasons that led, or was it another consideration, to do it for 360 and, you know, yeah. with Xbox One coming out? Was it to go for the biggest it's, possible It's audience? very hard to say this is a fan game and then release it on a platform that some yeah. of our fans might not have yet. And, you know, obviously... With Xbox One, we're really focused on Fable Legends. That's very much built for the Xbox One. Whereas as a, as a collector, a bit of a hoarder, if you will, of games, um, when I look at my gaming shelf at home, I've got Fable 2, Fable 3, Fable of Journey, and I really wanted that you know that slot to be filled from the yeah. original. So and you nice convinced Microsoft do that just for that one reason. <laughs> just yeah. filling that yeah, I think so. We, we want to be amazing. able to say, you know, this is a fan game and have the, the evidence of that. And we've tried to do things like when you buy the game, you get some extra content. In We did like a almost limited edition run that came with some outfits that had never been in the original game before. So we've tried to reach out to the fans. With uh, You might have seen that we did a community competition uh, mm -hmm. to design an achievement uh, back yes. in July yeah. where we had about 3,000 submissions. Wow. So we have really tried to communicate with them and yeah. prove to them that this is for the fans. Yeah, You talked about next game. Is it, um, 
so you've been producing these two games side by side. Has going back to the um, beginning of the franchise actually shaped that new project and changed the way you've looked at it, or was that always very much set? I think it's just it's always nice to have a reminder of where you start because with Fable Two and Fable Three, they all added new things, right? Like Fable Two, we obviously introduced like the dog the breadcrumb trail and some really cool new features with the combat and then with Fable 3 we introduced things like the, the interface was actually like a built-in room um, you could handhold uh, <laughs> but yeah some features that you know for better or for worse they really made each game feel different and yeah. Fable 3 was of course very industrial um, but they all retained that core Fable element um, so it is nice to go back just as much as it is to, to look forward and being the 10th year of Fable I think it felt like a really good time to, to do it. And Halo really set the bar when they did their Halo anniversary a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. Um, so do you think this is a trend that we'll see more and more in games? Like obviously Wind Waker was redone this year yeah. and a few other games on the horizon. Do you think this is something more and more? Yeah, I, I think there are going to be, especially the, the start of a new generation, um, you d- people do start looking backwards as well. And I think it... It is nice to, to relive those experiences. Um, and yeah, whether that's from the, the simple sort of upgrades or, or the more advanced upgrades that we've done. Um, yeah, I think it's it's almost like watching a, a movie again. And, you know, you talked previously about, you know, if you want to watch an old movie or, or read an old it's book, it's quite easy to get them yeah. nowadays. So it'd be nice if that kind of thing is available, that, if, you know, somebody who's even, you know, maybe coming into one of the, the franchises um, on Xbox One, that um, it's accessible for them that they can go back and look at things. I think one of the nice things that music has is that whenever I hear a song from like 2004 and it remind me of being 18, 19, something like that, or it might just remind me of being in a a terrible nightclub in London somewhere and just wanting to escape. So music has that attachment where you attach a song to a certain time time in your life. life, So thanks to Ted and Craig from Lionhead for coming in earlier in the week and having a chat with us. Uh, time to move on to this week's Reader FU and let's find what our bulging sack has been talking about this week. God, you still is that our the, bulging sack and Luke. the squinty eyes. So Max Fuller says, "Hey lads, wondering if you I guys love that name Max Fuller." Yeah. Hey lads, I was wondering if you guys think that Titanfall will have a future with esports. Will it be as big as MLG Call of Duty? Thanks for the great podcast. And there's a PS, which I'm going to read out after yeah. because you're going to get distracted when I read out. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so easily distracted, so, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about esports, really. There we go. Do you know enough <laughs> no. about esports? <laughs> well, yeah, I think it will be huge because I think a lot of people are interested in it. And also there's the fact that um, Respawn have said that they want to want to have a big esports following with it yeah so i'm sure it and you know it's ripe for it i mean the matches are slightly shorter as well so i like the idea of it i mean you know the whole idea time for being in a massive robot twatting the shit out of another robot it, it's so fast paced as well it is exciting to watch like we had um, an event on earlier this week where we had some demo stations set up in the IGN uk office got some readers in and it is even if we were when we weren't playing it's not boring to stand behind someone and watch them. Like, it is a very, very exciting game. So I, I think I don't see why they wouldn't have any success, you know? And it depends. I mean, it depends what they think about new maps and stuff like that. But yeah, I think, think it should do. Um, so the question that's going to distract you is, Stuart, can you tell the story about when you worked at Virgin and you swore it's hilarious? Now, I, <laughs> now I haven't heard this story, so what is it? Uh, okay. Is I've it, heard this story. I won't oh, do it again. No, no, All right, well, here's the thing. I used to do the traffic and travel news for Virgin yeah. Radio. For, um, yeah, Virgin FM. Yeah. Um, as was. Well, it was on FM and it was on AM. It was FM in London, AM across the rest of the Europe. Right. You're a poor man's Russ Kane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's pretty poor. That's pretty poor. That's Virgin Traffic and Travel with the link. That's kind of my outro. Oh, right God. So uh, looking fairly busy as you head clockwise on the M25 this afternoon. Uh, busy from Junction 16 towards Junction 18. Looks like an overturn lorry causing about four miles of delays. Two lanes currently shut. Police are on the scene. That's the kind of shit I What if someone's listening to this while they're actually driving? Totally <laughs> yeah. confused. Totally lost. Totally lost. Uh, so we had this AMFM opt-out. So you'd pre-record a bulletin for London and yeah. you do the national bulletin live. Okay. And then... Uh, you'd have to fire in a jingle or whatever at the mm. end of it. And uh, it was all automated, very s- clever automated system. So I did the travel news and uh, hit the button for the kind of automated system to take over. Nothing happened. Thinking my microphone was off, oh. I dropped the F-bomb <laughs> uh, to, to about 
8 million people <laughs> across the UK. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> got taken off air fairly rapidly. Spent the day in the pub, got absolutely wankered. Went back on the next day with a different name and carried on as if nothing had happened. <laughs> so I'm Doug Scott. That's Virgin Traffic <laughs> <Yeah>. and Travel. <laughs> Jesus. There you go. Right. Yeah. So if you ever swear Good. on the radio, just change your name, keep your voice. Brilliant. Uh, this piece of feedback is from Jordan Hackney. Hello, people. This is how Jordan speaks. Good, Hello, people. Handed. I recently bought Tomb Raider for PS4. I had been playing for it. I had been playing for it. I think he means I had been playing it and found it fairly mediocre. Then a few hours into the game, uh, there was an odd turn and suddenly some massive, weird, demonic samurai beings turned up. I was a bit annoyed as weird supernatural stuff doesn't really interest me in games and felt I'd been caught out by it. I can't remember that in Tomb Raider. Not really samurai people. I don't know if I remember that. There's the island kind of dwellers, aren't there? The island dwellers that... There there definitely definitely are supernatural aspects. But I I think it's that bit when you kind of go into the temple and like some of your uh the people who were shipwrecked with you have been captured there and like taken there i think yeah, that i think that that's when shit. that happens i know he's got a question are there any other games which have had unusual twists which make you lose interest jesus oh, um, not really i mean mass effect 2 just starting i found i wasn't interested and so <laughs> I that up fairly quickly yeah well but I'm, I'm alone on that everybody and everybody in the world loves mass effect and i'm, I'm just like yeah. well a recent example is i've been playing lightning returns and i kind of thought i've been trying to get hype for it um get into it and i just booted it up and i was like oh, you know what i do not care about any of these characters and every time a new character crops up from the older games i keep expecting myself to be like oh no that's nice nice cameo but I'm just more like Christ you again I thought I was done with you <laughs> you again and it's just I, I, I'm really sad because I, you know me I bloody love Final Fantasy but mm, I'm so too. over Lightning Returns I, it just <coughs> doesn't the combat's great but it just doesn't grip me there's no story uh, he says again also what do you make of Dark Souls 2 not being released on PS4 is that the usual thing or should next gen console owners feel a bit pissed off that new releases aren't made available tricky one isn't it mm. it's a difficult one that because obviously you know these games take so bloody long to develop yeah and I think the success of Dark Souls was was a genuine surprise to everybody oh completely um, and as we know developing for the PS3 is such a different beast than developing for PS4 it's cheaper. completely different architecture it's cheap as well I mean what you don't want to do is you spend you know what three or four years developing a game for current gen consoles next gen consoles come out and you release it on that yeah. no one's then going to buy the game that you've built for the current gen consoles right Makes sense. because yeah. everyone's got going to upgrade so I think whereas I don't know many people who have bought their next gen console and then gotten rid of their current one just yet so I think it makes sense they're still they're still doing quite well. What I imagine they'll probably do is, um, you know, obviously the original Dark Souls had the Prepare to Die edition, which had all mm-hmm. the extra content. Yep. I imagine we might see somewhere down the line um, it coming to next gen in a sort of Prepare to Die edition. Right. But the rumour that's flying around, which is totally unconfirmed, is that Demon Souls 2, because Demon Souls was the one that started it all off, Demon Souls 2 is in development for PS4 as a PlayStation exclusive. Ah. That's a rumour. We don't know if that's true. You heard but, it here first. But that's, if, it's, um, if it's true, you heard it here first. If it's not true, forget you ever heard it. If it's not true, blame someone else. Yeah. My name is Nick Black from Sydney, Australia. Oh, that's a long name. I've, I've written in before and had my email read out by none other than Robert Kaczynski. Yeah. Well, Nick, now you've gone one better because you've had an email read out by Chris Tilly. That's nice. Um, <laughs> my feedback was regarding GTA and how I was having a chopper battle, then bailed before my chopper exploded and landed safely in a pool, which made me feel rather special. Oh, yes. Yes. Until Alex said, proof or it didn't happen. Oh, Alex Simmons is he a hateful man. He is, isn't he? I've yeah. since been trying to recreate the event and have had no such luck, which inspired <laughs> my next question. What amazing defining moment of gaming will stay with you till the grave? Wow. Big one. I think when I completed Tetris and you saw the, the Cossack dancing at the end of it and the spaceship takes off, that was really exciting. I bet that was. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little animation that you can only see if you've completed Tetris. Wow. Was that on a little Game Boy? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Love your upstate references. <laughs> I was going to say, just, yeah, Stuart, okay, pot calling the kettle black on that one. Dude, Jesus. How's your laser disc doing? Um, so, How's your Slade album? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. Well, I, we, all the IGN editors have recently been doing their top games of all time. Yeah. I did mine, uh, I don't think this week, I think last week. And um, mine's borrowed from that completely. But when I completed Final Fantasy X, um, when I was about 10 years old, 
um, or about 13 rather, it was a massive, massive event for me because it was the first time I kind of really was invested in a game story and I realised there could be more than just fun in the gameplay. They could be fun in the narrative as well. Um, and I cried like a bloody baby for hours um, at the end of it. It was just like so emotionally draining. So... So I was th- I was thirteen. There were there were hormones, and so <laughs> oh um, so yeah. No, it was it, it was really really good. Anyway, and so that's probably mine. Okay. Like still now, every now and then I watch the ending on YouTube and tear oh, up a little bit. Dude. Yeah, and the HD one's coming out, and I'm scared to play it in case I don't cry at the end because I've watched it too many times. I done. think at the end of this podcast, we go to your desk and watch you watching it. No, <laughs> oh maybe no, no. <laughs> that's an interesting point, Chris. Actually, you mentioning Tetris. I'm desperately trying to think what the first video game I played and completed was. Oh, okay. I had um, I had Super Mario, was it Super Mario yeah. Land? But I don't think I ever completed that because mm. I remember I'd always like have a heart attack when I got to the furthest I've ever been and just die. <laughs> like, <laughs> couldn't handle the pressure. Oh. I, th- I think mine might have been Mickey Mouse Cast of Illusion. Yeah. Uh, I think I completed that. Mm. Um, maybe a Crash Bandicoot. Do you have a defining moment though, Stu, that you can... I guess for a lot of people it is finishing... Finishing it's finishing, yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing, it? I'm trying to think what mine would be. It's probably the the first Tomb Raider or something like that. Yeah. But I think when you see when you get when you get the um, the dinosaur in Tomb Raider, that was quite a defining moment. Yeah. I was like, what the heck yeah. is this? What's going on? There's a freaking dinosaur, and all I've got is a pistol. I'm going to run like hell. Um. <laughs> but that, I think it's a good one to throw open. Actually, yeah, what's, great the first, what's the first game you finished? Yeah. Yeah. And also, what's what's the kind of your defining gaming moment? Let us know. Yeah. Underscore you can Great question, Nick. Yeah. Yes, keep, Nick. Keep it coming. If we had prizes, we'd send you one for that. We don't, though. We don't. No. We've got some chipped mugs that don't even have IGN. We can actually scroll IGN with a Sharpie on it. Yeah, but he lives in Australia. The postage will be costing <sighs> fortune. That. Forget it. Sorry, Sorry mate. There's a game called Tombi as well that I think I completed, but I think it's called Toomba now. Anyway. Yeah, we'd finished that bit. Right, okay, continuing. So, <laughs> Phil Natchev says, Hey guys, just wanted to respond to a discussion you had a couple of weeks ago about the Xbox One's missing features in Europe and the raw deal that early adopters get. On the Xbox One, while I can understand being frustrated that American customers have more complete features, the original listener who wrote in saying that this made PS4 more appealing. Don't quite understand this logic because some of the features he was referring to, like voice commands and TV integration, are limited or non-existent on PS4 regardless of region. As for the early adopter issue, I'm of the opinion that early adopters should be aware of what they're in for. You know that the console is going to get cheaper, better, and more fully featured over time. Microsoft and Sony are very transparent about what games and features will be supported at launch, and which ones are expected to come further down the line. Don't think it's reasonable to complain about being an early adopter when you opted in. I agree. On the case of PS4, though, we thought that, you know, Drive Club was meant to be a launch title. That yeah. went pushed back. Watch Dogs, pushed back on for PS4 and Xbox One. They are transparent, but, you know, stuff does happen. And, like, similarly, Twitch was meant to be on Xbox One, I believe, like, the start of this year. Like, uh, January was the hope. And now, still not seen it. Still no ETA. I think the earliest ETA is June or something. Really? Hmm. Have an issue with BBC iPlayer again, meant to be on Xbox One. See, th- see, that's the point. I think no one's asking for... I think, you know, as an early adopter, you do expect some issues, right? right? Yeah. But when you assume that the Xbox 360 had the iPlayer... You know that the Xbox the Xbox One is getting iPlayer. You don't have the full TV integration of America, but you know you live in Britain and you expect you're going to get iPlayer at some stage. Yeah. And it's one thing as if to keep people in the loop, but they've just both gone ve- like both BBC and uh, Microsoft have gone very very quiet on it. When I reached out for comment on where it was recently, they was just they were like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, but still quiet. But Luke, you know he's absolutely right. Nobody f- goes out puts a gun to your head and makes you buy these brand new consoles. No, completely. I think I, I think what I'm arguing for is kind of like a, a, me, a middle point, right? I don't think anyone should be shocked that this is the situation. Mm. But similarly, it's quite... It's reasonable to expect that when you were promised XYZ, that even if you don't get XYZ, you are informed about when they might be coming. At least you might just get X. Yeah. Or, or Z. Yeah. Because we live in England. I work for an American website. Mm. Um, but then there's also the fact that... Um, I do agree about the, t- the TV stuff, I think, is just a bit annoying. It's meant to be the all-in-one media entertainment system, and it's not at the moment. It's just a hey, you know games what? console, Xbox One. Pick up your remote control, hit the HDMI or source button, just swap it over. You know, That's just, what just, I do. Just watch That's what I do. Easy. The dream. Uh, here's an email from Denny Bryant. Hi, all. Great to hear on a, a previous podcast all the independent films that you like the most. Also, cool that you mentioned the difference between an indie film and a film that's just got a low budget. 
Oh, ah. yeah, we haven't mentioned Reservoir Dogs yet in this podcast. We've oh, God. <laughs> Although, Hooked on a Feeling. Oh, there you go. Exactly. Used in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy. trailer. Everything links back to Reservoir Dogs. After all, Denny carries on. How many people's favourite film is Empire Strikes Back? A lot of people. And how many people didn't realise that that is technically an independent film? George Lucas funded the film with a personal bank loan, with 20th Century Fox only distributing it. Do you know what? I didn't know that. I did not know that. that it's an easy decision for the bank manager to make, though. It is, isn't I'm it? I'm going to do a sequel to the most successful film of all time. Can I borrow some money? Yes. Yes, you can. Amazing. I can't even get an extra 250 quid on my overdraft. Yeah. But that's because I'm just shooting grumble flicks. <laughs> Uh, there's, uh, a che- there's a phrase you don't hear very often. What's a grumble? It sounds like really odd porn, Well, stew. what do you think a grumble flick sounds like? <laughs> odd porn. There you go. Right. You've heard that phrase, surely. Is no. it? Never heard grumble no. porn. Is it's grumble, grumble flick? flick. Big fan of the grumble weeds. No, but... yeah, no. So am I right? Is grumble flick odd, odd porn? Yeah, it's just porn. It's just known as a grumble flick. Why? In the same way that pornographic magazines are known as art pamphlets. Oh, <laughs> because it makes you grumble. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, I have your favourite expression for a pornographic film or magazine. Yeah. your address. <laughs> Grot. Uh, I have an email from Germany, from Nuremberg in Germany, from Andreas. He says, Darn. With I- a Spanish accent, no less. Si, senor. He says, Darn, I should have written earlier, but is it too late to ask for my annual update on Best British TV in 2013? You've done it for me for the last three years, and it's always been great, from Misfits to Nathan Barley. I now have BBC iPlayer and love mid-morning matters with Alan Partridge. You're talking to the right person here, Andreas. <laughs> yeah. um, but what else is out there, not necessarily on the iPlayer? Mm. So I was making some notes while we've been sitting here of some good stuff. I mean, you might have seen this stuff, but just in case mm. you haven't, the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Peep Show. If you yeah. Have oh, yeah, yeah, you've got years of Peep Show there. Uh, in between us, we all love. Uh, a show called Look Around You is very funny. Although I preferred the early 10-minute ones. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of need to have seen Open University in England to appreciate yeah, Look Around You. Yeah, that's true. Um, new, um, new comedy, though, that came last year. Big one seemed to be Fresh Meat's really popular. Fresh Meat's very good, yeah. I watch it. I love Fresh Meat. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really like it. it. I don't find it that funny, but I like it's, watching it. It's weird. It. Like, it's, it's amusing. It, I don't necessarily laugh out loud that much, but it's, it's entertaining. I think the first season was funnier, and it's become more of a kind of drama yeah. since the yeah. first season. It's a dramedy. Yeah. Ding dong, I like Ding that. Dong. And if you like Jack Whitehall in that, our bad education's quite funny that yeah. he's in. Um, actually, I've got a bit of a man crush on Jack Whitehall. I didn't like him originally. I didn't like him at first. I didn't like him. And he's, he, but he, I've he's warmed to him. He's really wormed his way into my face. The first time I saw him do stand-up was the first time I liked him. Mm. I, was, I sat there with arms crossed, deciding not to like it, and he really made me laugh. Yeah. I was like, oh, I quite like that he's. <laughs> I quite like that he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder because he went to school with Robert Pattinson, didn't he? And he's got a bit oh, of really. Yeah, yeah, and he just hates the guy. <laughs> he's just like everyone wants to talk about him. Uh, Friday night dinner is really funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. as well. If you like the in betweeners. Um, oh, I tell you, a good one. If you can still get it, it's Grandma's house. Oh, I quite like that. So that's yeah. Simon Amstel. Yeah. Um, I didn't like that one. So if you do watch it and don't like it, blame them. <laughs> blame them. Uh, but that's made me think of League of Gentlemen. Yes, Inside Number yeah. Nine is the new one. Inside Number Nine, which is good. Uh, Uncle, I'm liking. That's a new show. I quite like Nighty Night. Like with Julia Davis. Good, yeah. Nighty Night's good. Might be difficult to get hold of, but Nighty Netflix. Night. Oh, is it? Yeah. Brilliant. Nighty Night. If you can go. get that. That's so there you go. That's fun. a hell of a lot to be going on yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, he, so just one more thing. He, okay. he wrote a PS. Um, Gravity is the 2001 of our generation. Wow. I like small indie films, but you have to recognise how it's a definite milestone in cinema's history. Um, I, I think 2001 is yes. the 2001 of your generation, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> it's very true. It's, it's, but it's definitely a milestone, and I think yeah. we'll see it honoured at the Oscars in that. Respect. I would like to yes. think so. Yeah. Talking of which, we haven't we haven't really talk, uh, mentioned the uh, the Baftas and the fact that um, the, the best director didn't win best best film, and I always get a bit. I'm always a bit weirded out I by called that. that. I called that, though. We so 12 Years that. a Slave was best film, yeah. Yeah. and best and director was... And I, I, I think for, for, for Gravity. And I think that could happen at the Oscars. Yeah. Because uh, we were just talking about the, mm. the, the technical achievement that Gravity is. Yeah, which is The phenomenal. director deserves uh, some recognition, but it's not necessarily the best film of the year mm. in terms of... The, there's some dodgy, wonky drama beats, I think, towards the end. Okay. Um, whereas everyone, I haven't seen 12 Years a Slave, but everyone seems to be saying that's... Do you want to see 12 Years a Slave or do you feel like you have to see 12 Well, yeah, Years it's one of those where I would have seen it in the build-up in the previews for my job, but now it's coming to I would be seeing it for entertainment purposes now. It's a tougher sell for me. Yes. I'll yeah. definitely watch it on Blu-ray, uh, on, um, when it's on Sky. I'll build up to it. Right. 
but it's it's more I feel like I I should see it rather than I want to see it. Okay. There's a lot of films like that though. Sure, sure. I also the other thing I'm quite not upset about because it's only a bloody film at the end of the day, but not much love for Captain Phillips. Mm. I finally watched that last week. And wasn't there controversy around that, like in terms of the story being completely? Yeah, I need to read up on that now. I've seen it. So it's yeah, yeah, because I I haven't seen it, but I remember something like some of the other guys who were captured with him, like he didn't volunteer, all of this kind of thing, and it's just a bit. Supposedly the source, because he's obviously the only one who was there, Mm. and they're now suddenly like, "Mm, that's not what happened. Yeah, well, these films are always based on true events. It's like the Butler, for God's sake, you know. I'm sure it's it's like saving Mr. Banks. There you go. But with Captain Phillips, which one was Johnny Depp? I spent the whole film trying to figure out. <laughs> what? <laughs> which pirate was Johnny Depp? <laughs> He's a chameleon, isn't he? Yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> that weird? Walk away from that. Okay. Amazing. So we've kind of answered this one. This is a uh, Matt Rye, but he says, Hello, um... Over the last year, I've started listening to lots of podcasts, eliminating the radio completely while driving at this point. Your show is right there at the top of my list. I'm going to do some more travel news. I was going to say. Um, I want to let you know that I finally watched the first season of Sherlock because of how much you reference it. I love it. Cumberbatch and Freeman are magnificent. And when I got to the Moriarty bit at something, don't want to spoil it, pleasantly surprised. He seems genuinely insane. Can't wait to get started on the next season. Do you have any other British gems you'd suggest? Well, we've just done comedies, I suppose. Yeah. Um, first attempt at a full BBC series, so everything is on the table. Tried a few episodes of Doctor Who, but didn't really understand it. Entertaining, but never understood why the Doctor was in all of those places. Uh, felt a lot like Star Trek Next Generation episodes, which is a great thing, because I love that show. We're looking forward to the show. I like Next Generation as well. Mm. Quite fond of that. What's well, good British drama, though? British drama is oh, slightly trickier. That is tricky, isn't it? I think my favourite one of all time, although I don't know if it's a bit dated now because I haven't rewatched it, is Cracker. Mm. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, I'm. Do you know? I'll, I'll put a flag up for Inspector Morse. Really? If you, yeah. If you want something that's really entertaining, keeps yeah. you, you know, they're, they're really well made, mm. and so many directors got their first got their first gig on an Inspector Morse episode. I think Paul Greengrass did one. I think. Yeah, probably. Um, Danny Boyle did yep. an episode. He did. He did the rave episode, which is probably incredibly dated. Now. <laughs> yeah, but Inspector Morse is worth watching. There was a there was a show the year before last, um, The Shadow Line, which was on BBC Two. Oh, yeah, which was incredibly. It was quite challenging. Challenging, but it wasn't really well put together. It wasn't an easy watch. No, it wasn't. But that's, I believe they're doing a sequel. Oh really? I believe yeah. They they got the money to do a follow up to that. Oh, Peaky Blinders, I really like. Yep. I've talked about that a lot. And I, did you see the casting news about that last week? No. It's, everyone's going to be watching it soon because Tom Hardy's joining the cast. Oh, God, really? Yeah. Um, I quite like the Messiahs. It was Messiah. You remember those kind of yeah. like murder mystery yeah. type things? Um, Broadchurch is one that everyone mentions a lot with yeah. Olivia Coleman and David Tennant. Um, and then Misfits. I quite like the early seasons. Yeah, Misfits, Misfits and Being Human. I right. loved both of them in the start. Yeah, first right. two seasons. Because my um, someone who I went to uni with, who actually directed me in a play, um, is now in the most recent series of Misfits. Oh. I've got our European friends as well. There's stuff like Borgen, um, Benadorm, uh, Le Revenant, The Return, <laughs> Returned. Yeah. The Returned. I just watched. Really Bloody good. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, really good. Uh, so yeah, loads of stuff. Yes, and all the comedies we mentioned ten yes. minutes ago. There you go. You never have to leave the house again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adam Martin. Adam Timothy Martin. Mm. Name, yeah, look at Very this. Nice. Hey guys, fan of the show. I'm messaging you as from the last show you mentioned about going to the cinema on your own. I've been to the, going to the cinema by myself for some time as I have one of those Cineworld Unlimited cards which lets you see any film on a monthly bill. As most of my friends don't have the money to go constantly <laughs> with me and aren't massive films fans like me, I end up going by myself. My first one, I think, was The Croods, which I found easier to watch as I was the only person in the room. <laughs> I always get slightly nervous that someone's watching me if I'm the only one in the cinema. <laughs> when I usually try and go see a film with a friend, they try and give me their opinion as to what's going to happen which ends up making me miss part of the film. That annoys the shit out of me as well when I go to the That's cinema. why we don't go to the cinema, because I'd be doing that. Really? Well, I, I'm not that bad at it, but every now and then I just kind of want to flag that I've got this. I've got this shit down. <laughs> I know what's going. My question for you, have you ever walked out on a film? If so, which film and why? My first film I walked out was Smurfs 2 after 15 minutes. <laughs> I'd had enough and walked out, which I found awful in Sony was ruining my childhood. Well, Christ, yeah. I mean, you would r- walk out of Smurfs too, surely. Yeah. First film I remember walking out of was Dark City. Really? Mm, yeah, because I just thought it was lousy. Valentine's Day. I went to see it on Valentine's Day with someone I was dating at the time, and I swear to God, the biggest mistake of my life. It was 
It was the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so bad. We made it 15 minutes, me asking to leave every like three minutes. Then Ashton Kutcher just being awful, like trying to play a character that doesn't suit him. And it was just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I walked out after 15 minutes and I was just like, forget this. Other F this. Wow. It was just, yeah, not worth my time or my life. And I'm still resentful over it. And shame on you, actors and actresses who appeared in that pile <laughs> wow. of turd. And it was everyone, wasn't it? It was everyone. And yeah, like, just cast. get some self-respect, quite frankly, because you're better than this. And I don't care I, how big the paycheck is. Wow. It's not love, actually. I think the only time I walked out of a film was at the San Sebastian Film Festival. And I can't remember what the film was. But it was in French with Spanish subtitles. Good. And after 10 minutes, I was like, yeah, this is... Tricky selfie. This is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, was that quite... Was that the last couple of years? No, it was about, uh, ten, about eight years ago. Who was it who released a film, was it last year, and released it in a certain language and didn't subtitle it and refused to have it subtitled? It was some, quite a famous director. I don't know what you're talking about. That uh, sounds interesting. I can't think now. Oh, the only film I've worked out, walked out of in a work environment, a, a screening I went to see was Scoop. Oh, ah, do you remember that? I do. It was supposed to be part of a trilogy. That's right. Never happened. And I very nearly walked out of Golden Compass, actually. I didn't. Well, the, reason, the reason I walked out of Scoop, and the reason a lot of people walked out of Scoop, because of, is of the way it yeah. was edited. Yeah. It was shot on Digicam, loads of digital <coughs> cameras, and there was an edit, a cut, every second. Bonk, 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 bonk. Oh, God, that's, bonk, epi- that's bonk, like epileptic. Yes. C&GC. It was one of the most hideously uncomfortable films to watch Ugh. and people were complaining of, of seasickness watching it yeah. because you, there's nothing to fix on you just can't do it I mean never mind Gaspar Noe and all his tricks you want to upset people just cut a movie every single second to a different shot that does sound absolutely mental it was shit as well well speaking of films that people want to walk out of yep. I've got this week's releases Yay. are you done with that I think we are. Thank yeah, you for all your thanks. feedback. Yeah, good, a good crop of feedback. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com so, if you'd like to participate in this here show. So I haven't seen this movie yet, but apparently people are saying it's one of the worst films of all time. Really? New York Winter's Tale. Is that not a Shakespeare adaptation? I don't believe it is. Mm. This, is this is Colin Farrell. And Russell Crowe. I think Will Smith's in it. What? Apparently it's a big, fat mess. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, it's directed by, oh, I can't remember his name now, but a guy who wrote a lot of really rubbish films. Who's going to wish his name was Alan Smithy on this? Mm. Yeah, but so, isn't, doesn't Colin Farrell play a housebreaker or something who falls in love with a terminally ill girl or something like that? Oh my god, this just sounds—I don't know. It, but I, I kind of—I've gone from being wanting to see it and then hearing how bad it was and not wanting to see it, and now I actually quite want to see it because it's so bad. It feels like I need to see this celluloid turd. I don't know, but it means having to watch Colin Farrell. Oh, he's been good in two movies. He was good in In Bruges. Yeah, um, he was good in Bruges. Good in Bruges, good in Tigerland. But then there's Alexander, and there's no forgiveness for that. And Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, really? He I haven't seen Saving Mr. Banks. Freaking awful in that. Really? Yeah. The, the, the Is only, he Mr. Banks? I, yes. Oh, God. I think it's the only misstep in that film. I was going to say, well, why does everyone love it then if he's Mr. Banks? Because he's not in it for long. He's only in it in flashbacks. I suppose, and then you've got to save him, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. What? Only Lovers Left Alive is out this week, which I reviewed a couple of weeks ago. It's a vampire movie from indie darling Jim Jarmusch. You liked that, didn't you? I thought it was all right. Yeah, yeah that's the kind of general consensus, I think. Mm. It's all right. It's a bit slow, a bit long, a bit too cool for its own good. But there's some fun moments in it. Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton play the, the lead vampires. There's some really good smaller roles. Uh, John Hurt. Um, Maya... Maya Vosikovicevic. Yeah, yeah. Alice in Wonderland. She's yeah. great. The film comes alive when she's in it, but unfortunately it's only lasts about 15 minutes. Oh, she's Alice in Alice in Wonderland. She's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, and she was in that um, other film last year. Which I, I wish I had in... walked out of Stoker. Stoker. Oh, yeah. But God. Tom Hiddleston is actually the least interesting thing in it, but mainly because really? his character is just a boring moaner. Uh, um, but yeah, it's all right, but I'd probably wait for the DVD. Soundtrack's good, though. Hmm. Um, and Nymphomaniac. Yay. Which our review will be live on the site once this, uh, at the same time as this podcast plopping. And um, we've given it a very positive review. But interestingly, our reviewer said that the by far the worst thing in it is Shia LaBeouf. Which really? isn't hugely yeah. surprising. Yeah. And he's the reason it's been getting quite a lot of attention recently because of his behaviour. He does some sort of weird... British Australian accent in it I understand yeah and apparently it's awful great well it's, done Shire but the film's good but it's four and a half hours so again maybe wait for the DVD yeah, yeah. or it's on it's going to be on demand really quickly as yeah well. I think it's I think just a week a week between yeah. or something uh, yeah 
We can. I, I don't know if they're on demand. Or, well, they'll probably run it as one movie, will they? Or it'll be the usual thing because it's, it's it's actually two films, isn't it? It's an Infamous Part One and Infamous Part yeah. Two. There's and a director's cut as well, which is going to be screened in Berlin, which is longer. Wow. As far as I know, yeah. Hmm. I am not sure if I will ever want to sit and watch that. Really, what do you think? Are you going to watch it? Uh, well, I've just had to go. I didn't really know anything about it. I've just gone through the review. It sounds interesting. It sounds interesting, but you're right. It's again, it's going to be a slog, isn't it? Yeah, mm. that's it. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting to the age now where life's probably a bit too short to have to sit through four and a half hours of yeah. ugly, ugly people shagging. Brilliant. That's optimistic. I get. Do you know what? I bet there's at least one foreign country where that's where it's been named. What foreign ugly people Instead shagging? Nymphomaniac. Ugly people shagging. Jamie Bell's in it. He's yeah. all right. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf's in it. He's not. The Uma Thurman, who is a handsome woman. She's fine, isn't she's she? A she's a handsome woman. She's a long woman. She's <laughs> and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put my hand up here and say I've got, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Charlotte Gainsbourg. As I well. would. Yeah, I would. I don't know who that is. Filthy. <laughs> <laughs> Any games coming out? Yeah, quite a lot actually. Any um, filthy games coming out? No, sadly Aww. not. So um, Rayman Legends is finally available on next gen console, so that's coming to PS4 and Xbox One, which is good. Uh, Strider, which is a re-release of an old game, I'm too young to really know about it, and I forgot to look it up. Whoops. Um, Banished is coming to PC. Banished is quite exciting. It's um, a city sim set in medieval ages, um, and apparently it's got very good reviews. Actually, we gave it an eight point five. Um, or an 8 point something but yeah very very good it's meant to be great um, and then the big draw though this week um, especially for you Wii U owners who are looking for something to play is Both Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze because um, it's got really strong reviews like in the nines and is meant to be um, exquisite yeah return to film Alex and Krupa have been playing a lot of that they have and they've enjoyed it mm. um, yeah so it's um, you know it's another kind of one of these that you can kind of play with friends but it, it's meant to be very good check out our review we have reviews of all of them on site now um, so be sure to check them out if you are unsure about what to do. Good. Mm. That is it. We're going. Uh, we made it a, through. Have a lovely week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And uh, as always, get in touch if there's anything you want us to talk about or if you've got any feedback about the show. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. We'll see you next week. Bye. Cheerio. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.